Hey, welcome. So one final, um, one final hurrah here. So season four, episode 35 was kind of the final Bremner episode I didn't plan to make. Uh, and that was really thanks to Ryan Kirk. So as I'm recording or kind of thinking back on what was happening in these episodes, um, it was when my mom was getting a hip replacement and things were kind of, things were kind of messy. So apologies for any, um, extra stress in my voice. Uh, anyway, and uh, so yeah, thanks to Ryan Kirk for retorting that. Thanks to Rob Turner for doing some Baroque flute stuff for us. Um, but yeah, here is, I think, the last of the Robert Bremner stuff. Um, yeah, this is going to lead to me really wanting to revisit some Bremner tunes. I already really want to play those hymns. So anyway, cheers. Hello, welcome to Winter Dogs Bagpipe and History Podcast, the weekly show where I explore the likely repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers using historic music collections, written for bagpipes or not, uh, and played on illin pipes, highland pipes, and whistles. Let's hear some tunes. bits of advice I received in kind of academia was to start a notebook every time you start a new research project so that you kind of have all your notes in one place but most importantly so you have your list of people to thank close at hand uh, when it gets time to actually do the work or like write the thing however many years or months after you started the research project uh, process because you know knowledge and all that um, is a pretty you know, it's sort of a solo effort, but it's also very much a collaborative effort. And you often realize that you just couldn't have done what you were setting out to do without the help of countless archivists and friends and colleagues and all kinds of things. And I sort of feel like I need a notebook for just this week. Uh, I've had kind of a rough week and uh, it's ended well, um, but all my, my hopes for what the podcast is going to be this week just wouldn't have been possible without a lot of help. So um yeah so lots of thanks to especially um especially to ryan kirk who is going to be playing the majority of the music for this week's episode uh, we're also going to have a tune from uh rob turner and then I'll, i get some tunes in there too but uh this is by and large ryan kirk's episode so thank you ryan uh, as you can see from the title this is sort of the unexpected uh third robert bremner episode a couple episodes back, I asked if anyone wanted to do, to kind of have a look at the guitar tutorial and play some of those tunes. And Ryan very kindly offered to do just that and recorded some really lovely renditions of some tunes from Robert Bremner's guitar book, as well as sending me a pretty fancy write-up uh, about it to, to kind of read to y'all. So quite a bit more professional than my standard, uh, just sit here in front of the microphone and talk about what I'm thinking. So don't get used to this. Uh, but uh, So anyway, big thanks to Ryan, uh, big thanks to Rob Turner for contributing tunes, and also, um, yeah, just the... I've received a couple, like, manuscripts of music that I've been searching for uh, this week when I was at my lowest, and uh, it really just pulled me out of the gutter. So, um, yeah, big thanks to uh, John Daly and Terry and Moylan, too. 
Um, I was hoping to do Walker uh, Walker Jackson's Ellen Pipe stuff, but I couldn't find the music for it. Uh, I thought it was online, but it's only an ABC notation. But Terry Moylan, I think, went into the the Peabrey Ellen archive and snatched a copy for me uh, and sent it my way. So we will be able to get that Walker Jackson episode out there soon. Um, now that I've got the music, I can look at it. And then John Daly sent me a... I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, just sent me a lovely scan of um, O'Farrell's actual tutorial. So that's out there pretty easily in ABC format, but I just love looking at that original stuff and kind of reading the actual tutorial part has been pretty fascinating as well. So uh, we'll get some more O'Farrell back on the episode uh, or back on the show sometime in the not too distant future uh in fact this episode uh, we're going to have a little bit of o'farrell from the pocketbook companions um like i said mostly this is ryan's episode with some lovely tunes from guitar um and then i'll kind of chime in with a couple of tunes uh some ellen pipe versions of those same settings so or of uh different settings but played on ellen pipes so actually, tunes we're going to hear today uh, from Robert Bremner's guitar tutorial, the instructions for the guitar. Uh, we're going to hear Stadholder's Minuet, then some Moorish tunes, and then um, the Black Joke, and then Willie Was a Wanton Wag, and Mill Mill O. Uh, from William McGibbon's setting, and you know, remember, Robert Bremner's one that prints all William McGibbon stuff, so uh, this is William McGibbon's setting for Mill Mill O and Willie Was a Wanton Wag. I'm also going to play Claire. I'm also going to play Claire Dragoons, which uh, if you listen to a lot of villain piping, you've almost certainly heard from Leo Rousem, Um but it's kind of the same tune as Willie Was a Wanton Wag, but used to, to different uh, different means. And then uh, from Rob Turner, we're going to have James Oswald's setting of Burlesque on a Black Joke. So. Those are the tunes we are going to have, um, thanks to so many people helping out. Um, yeah, just my, I think at the beginning, I don't know if people have gone back and listened to the very early episodes of this, um, but I've spent a lot of time in hospitals again. Uh, mom kind of broke her hip and with all of her other medical history, it was a little bit terrifying to get that hip surgery done. Um, but things are not perfect but seem to be doing well now and i am once again just left being kind of humbled and shocked at the amount of work that uh, nurses are capable of and doctors are it's it's nuts watching what they are capable of doing um pretty magnificent stuff um so anyway when i was kind of before the surgery had happened and when i was quite worried uh, about my mom um is when kind of Ryan Kirk reached out and said, Hey, I was thinking about recording these tunes if you're interested still. And, uh, he sent me the first couple, the first two he sent me were, um, gosh, what were they? I think it was Mill Mill O and Stadholder's Minuet, but Stadholder's Minuet was the first one I listened to. And it just, it felt like it fixed me a little bit. <laughs> like I was really quite low and it, uh, it fixed me right up. I feel bad. Ryan doesn't have like a website or an album or anything to link to, but, uh, he really should. This is some pretty awesome stuff. A lot of these tunes he had never heard before. So he's just sight reading, uh, well not sight reading, but he's reading them and, and performing them. And it seems like He's trying to copy a bit of what uh, Bremner's instructions are about how to play the music as well. So he's really going above and beyond. So uh, I don't know, maybe go and uh, post a comment on the uh, Facebook page for the podcast. That's where he reached out to me. So I know he'll see that if you like his playing as much as I do. It'd be nice to see some love given to Ryan in the uh, comment section on 
kind of my post promoting this episode. Uh, anyway, so without further ado, let's get right into it. Uh, he's got some notes, but I'll read those after we've heard a tune. So to begin with, here is the very uplifting Stadholder's Minuet. I went looking around for the history of this tune, couldn't really find much, just that it's, you know, pretty copu- uh, popular English country dance, uh, quite old. And uh, this tune book seems to become be from like 1757-ish, uh, not 100% sure. I've got links to the PDF, you can look at it, and the Spanish guitar website that it comes from uh, dates it as 1757, 58 or something like that. Can't remember without looking at it right now, but late 1750s, before Robert Bremner moves to London anyway. This is an Edinburgh publication. So anyway, here is Holder's Minuet by Ryan Kirk. stuff thank you ryan uh okay so ryan like i said sent along a nice little write-up on his impressions from looking at uh, bremner's guitar book here uh and so i'm going to read them to you um i'll post them in the episode description too or in the show notes so you can read over them it's kind of interesting you know i i don't uh i don't have a music education background and so I don't understand uh, a handful of things in uh, in this write-up, but I'm hoping that it transfers, especially if you are a stringed instrument player yourself. I am sure this will uh, mean more to you. But uh, I'll read it in its entirety. It's it's glorious stuff. Um, I've got a link to the Guitar Tutor as well, so you can kind of look over the original if you care to. I'm using a little clip from the cover art for the cover art for the podcast this week too so anyway from ryan kirk english guitar notes uh, robert bremner's instructions for the guitar is a short tutor book containing a brief overview of the instrument and a small collection of popular english and scottish tunes the instrument described within is not what most people today would picture when they hear a guitar instead the six instead of the six stringed romantic or spanish guitar the direct ancestor to today's classical and steel string instruments The instrument described is what is now known as an English or Scottish guitar. The instrument had six courses of strings, but was a smaller teardrop-shaped instrument, strung with metal wire and tuned in open tunings. It is the ancestor to, uh, and most closely resembles, the modern Sittern, or German Waldzither. Waldzither. Not sure if I got that one right. 
Um, that was me speaking, not reading. Uh, anyway, back to Ryan. Uh, with its early wire strings and open tunings, it was less suited to the more harmonically complex and delicate music played on the gut-strung Spanish instrument. Nevertheless, it enjoyed widespread use as an instrument for popular and folk music. And if you look at uh, the cover art, you'll see it's, uh, you, you know, you can probably get a good little visual of the instrument. It's interesting, too, that it's uh, a woman playing the guitar uh, on the cover. If you recall, James Brenner, who it seems likely is the one that actually uh, wrote this, just that Robert Brenner kind of published it under his name, but it seems like his brother James was more of the guitar player. Uh, but when James sets up shop in Philadelphia, he specifically advertises teaching women how to play guitar. Okay, back to Ryan. Uh, the instructions portions of the text is, text is relatively brief. It explains the tuning of the instrument, an open C major chord, and a few rudimentary techniques. Interestingly, it describes a simple strum technique and also suggests an alternate plucking with the thumb and forefinger, a common technique on the lute and other early stringed instruments known as thumb under that approximates the effect of a plectrum. plectrum. Uh, the musical selections themselves are mostly presented in simple settings. Uh, the music is provided in staff notation rather than the tabulature that was more common, uh, more commonly used for stringed instruments of the era. Of uh, all of the instruments, all of the music rather is transposed to C to fit the open chord tuning of the instrument. The texture is simple, um, mostly simple monophonic melody line with the odd open string drone or strummed open string chord for emphasis, when harmonically appropriate. In all but a few instances, the music only calls on the player to strike notes on immediately adjacent strings, most often in melodic parallel thirds or a melody over an open drone string. This, uh, there is none of the counterpoint, moving bass, bass lines, or harmonic figuration uh, that is typical of Baroque or Romantic guitar repertoire. These factors alone, along with the popular tunes, suggest to me that the music was intended for an amateur audience and intended to be strummed as much as plucked. One could view the tutor as analogous to modern commercial ukulele books full of popular or folk tunes in simple arrangements. The various Moorish tunes are interesting and of particular note. They are all extremely short and simple with a strong pastoral sound of open ringing intervals evocative of hunting horns and revelries, perhaps intended to conjure the image of trumpets popularly associated with the military bands of the Ottoman Empire. In light of the above notes on the instrument itself, I have played the selection tunes, uh, the selected tunes on a modern steel string acoustic guitar with a pick, mix of pick and thumb and forefinger as appropriate. Ryan Kirk, Nova Scotia, Canada. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, it's interesting. He says, you know, these are popular tunes. And honestly, when I first saw uh, this collection, I kind of discounted it as being not interesting because it was like uh, all the same type of music that uh, I am seeing in kind of all these old Scottish collections. So there's several tunes. Um, there's several tunes that have shown up so often that I've decided a long time ago to do podcast episodes about all of them. Um, like, is it Tweedside? Yeah, Tweedside or Alan Aroon, Mill um, Mill O, Black Joke. Like, all of those tunes kind of deserve their own episodes. So I wound up um, still playing a couple of them here, but I'm going to, I guess, reserve some for later. So we will definitely hear more from Ryan as I didn't wind up playing every single one of the tunes he sent me. Uh, but let's get next to this Moorish tunes. The Moorish tunes are sort of, um, those are the ones I didn't recognize. Those were the, the bizarre ones um, that I haven't seen. And 
a lot of the other collections of Scottish tunes. So we're going to go right back to uh, Ryan's playing of these uh, Moorish tunes. There's, I, th I can't remember the exact number, four or five of them in the book, and Ryan just kind of selected two in here. They're just called Moorish tunes in the book, so it's uh, difficult to come up with a better name than that. So anyway, here is two Moorish tunes. Is there is there like a medical condition for uh, what, do you, what do you call it when you hear another instrument and you just sort of get a little obsessed with it and want it real bad? Kind of think I want to play guitar now. Um, it's just hard. I've never I've, I've tried playing guitar when I was a kid and I couldn't figure it out. The only thing I, I managed to do is I used sticky notes and taped them on the frets so I knew where the bagpipe notes were so I could pluck uh, bagpipe tunes that I knew on guitar and that's about as far as I got with guitar playing um but yeah just I love love the stuff this is really cool uh really good good sound so thanks Ryan for um thanks for making this possible that's lovely lovely playing and lovely sound mixing uh let's go next to the black joke uh black joke I might have probably played on the podcast before it's been one of my favorite tunes at Will Ferrell for years and if you recall back all the way to the cock up that beaver episode uh, I was kind of surprised when I was doing research on kind of body songs and um, slang to find out that the black joke is, it was pretty commonly understood slang for uh, women's genitalia in the 18th century into the early 19th century and had quite a few kind of body songs associated with it. Uh, it's kind of interesting though, I mean it shows up in a lot of tune collections and country dance books and uh, it seems like it like, it must not have been completely understood as a body tune. Uh, I guess, how do you know if you're just listening to the, the music aspect of it? But seeing it in all these tune books next to other things that are a little bit more refined and respectable seeming makes me wonder if, um, like, it's clearly not an example. It's not like rock music where, like, all the sexual innuendos are in innuendo and kind of miss the older generation. I don't think that's quite what's going on, but uh, I don't know. I, I've always liked the Black Joke. It's a cool sound and jig, uh, and I was made to love it even more when I was reading the uh, 
those Patrick O'Brien novels and Stephen Matron is described as kind of walking around humming the black joke. And it's kind of funny knowing now that that's a body tune. If, uh, if Stephen Matron would have known, or I think I get the sense that it was just everywhere because everybody enjoyed the, the joke of it so much as well. I, I don't know. Anyway, here is uh, Ryan's playing of the black joke. And then we'll hear some other versions. Of it too. And I think to go chronologically, uh, makes sense. We're going to listen to uh, James Oswald's setting for the Black Joke uh, next. Uh, this is another, you know, big debt of gratitude. I, when I saw that uh, Ryan had recorded the Black Joke, I was like, oh, I should look at some of those other, should look at some of those other notation or other settings and see what I can do with them. And it had been a while since I'd played a James Oswald setting, and those are always interesting. So I decided to go over and look at James Oswald's setting. And it's interesting that he calls it a burlesque. So this is a burlesque of a black joke. And I think in the 18th century, burlesque meant sort of the same thing as it does now, of like kind of being a comedy or a farcical version of a thing. And if the black joke is already sort of a body tune that people snigger and laugh at, so James Oswald burlesque of it is adding this kind of mournful slow air to the beginning, which if I'm understanding it right, and that's pretty damn clever. Um, but then he goes on and just makes it wicked. <laughs> like it's just a very complex variation. And I stared at the setting for it uh, for a good 10 or 20 minutes, tried playing it and it's, it's massive. It's a two whole pages uh, setting that Oswald wrote and I, I just couldn't I couldn't fathom it. it it seemed awesome I plugged it in I found ABC for it and plugged it into an ABC player and listened to MIDI version of it I'm like yeah there's beautiful stuff in there that sounds really fun but I can't do it uh, and so I kind of gave up on that and was a little dejected uh, and I went to YouTube and found uh, found out that somebody had already done it on on flute so we're gonna listen to 
uh, another musician. Back in the olden days, I used to have episodes of the podcast called Other People's Music. I was tempted to bring that out as the title of this one, too, but uh, but we're not gonna. <laughs> so this is just gonna be, uh, this is just Ryan Kirk and, and Rob Turner are really helping me out. But anyway, I got in touch with Rob Turner like hours before I sat down to record the podcast, and uh, he was happy to, to let me play this tune, his setting of James Oswald. Now, uh, Turner doesn't have an album, but he does have a YouTube channel, and he's, I don't know that he's doing an entire playthrough of James Oswald's uh, Caledonia Pocket Companions, but he's got several very beautiful Oswald um, settings up there and some other stuff too, so I encourage you to check it out. And every one of his James Oswald pieces has a nice little biography and kind of description of the tune and has some um, kind of appropriate images and, you know, handsome things to look at while listening to his rather handsome playing of the tune on flute as well. So here's James Oswald's Burlesque of a Black Joke by Rob Turner. So thanks again, Rob. And here you go.
thanks again, Rob. Uh, it's just beautiful stuff. So, like I said, do be sure to go check out uh, Rob's video. Uh, I know if you listen to it, you can see he's got a great little write-up. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil it for it. Uh, but there's just a good amount of research into kind of the history of the Black Joke as a street song in Ireland and England, and the different places it showed up in popular culture, like Beggar's Opera and that sort of thing. So, lots of good research, uh, good good resource that. Uh, if I wasn't pressed for time, I would probably spend a lot more time digging into and just stealing your work uh, like I did for the episode. So uh, anyway, thanks again, Rob, uh, and everybody be sure to check that out. Like I said, we're going chronologically here. So remember, Brebner's guitar book is 1757. Uh, I had it open so I could say it with confidence here. Okay, 1758. Um, those Oswald books, it's kind of tricky to date them. Um, Sometimes I see stuff listed all the way up to 1760. Um, I don't know. Um, I guess I'll, I'll trust. I'll trust Rob on his thing. He says circa 1750, but yeah, it's mid 18th century anyway. Uh, the next one we're gonna play. I'm gonna play O'Farrell setting for the Black Joke uh, with variations. Nowhere near as many variations as Oswald, but still quite a few kind of little differences from the Bremner kind of simple simplified setting. Um, and Brem and this is from O'Farrell's Pocketbook Companion, so the ones that are published in the early 19th century, I think between 1804 and 1812 or so. I might have that spread a little bit off, but certainly the first decade of the 19th century is when O'Farrell is publishing. So here is the black joke. Uh, as O'Farrell has it down, if you have listened to any of my music presentations, you've heard this tune. I played it a bunch growing up. Uh, I kind of doing talks on 18th century bagpiping, and the only difference is O'Farrell has a variation, the second to last variation. I hated when I first looked at it. I still kind of hate it. Uh, it sounds nice, but it, the problem with it is that it doesn't make, to me, it doesn't make sense as the second to last variation. It feels like a conclusion, and, uh, and yeah, so I just never, I never played it. Uh, it's too complicated for me when I started playing the black joke, and at this point, I don't think I can correct myself. Uh, so for the podcast to do something different, I added it in there. Uh, I tried to anyway. The first time through, I forgot to include it. <laughs> so the second time through, you can hear all of the variations that O'Farrell intends. So anyway, here is myself playing the, the black joke with variations from O'Farrell's Pocketbook Companion. <laughs> Thank 
right, so now back to Robert Bremner and Ryan Kirk's guitaring. Uh, guitaring? That's a verb, isn't it? You can guitar a thing. Uh, anyway, the next tune we're going to play is Willie Was a Wanton Wag, and this tune is quite old. At least goes back as far as 1727 to the Aria de Camera, and shows up uh, in quite a few kind of early collections uh, in the early 18th century, and as well as this uh, Bremner one, and it's a pretty cracking tune. So here is Bremner's guitar setting for it, and then I'll play it on I'll play McGibbon's setting for it, uh, which is also kind of mid 18th century. And then we'll play some of the tunes that it gets turned into because it's a pretty popular, um, pretty popular melody that gets used uh, time and time again. But here first is going to be Ryan Kirk playing Robert Bremner's guitar setting for Willie Was a Wanton Wag. <laughs> setting for it as well. I remember that Robert Bremner printed all of William McGibbon's uh, sheet music, I think mostly after, maybe not mostly, well, certainly after William McGibbon died. Um, it's kind of, it's been the interesting connection, kind of realizing how important Robert Bremner is to um, music publications worldwide. Uh, they advertise William McGibbon's music being sold in, uh, I think, New York or Philadelphia, I can't remember which... Um, Probably both. I um, can't remember where I found the ad for it, but either New York or Philadelphia. It would make sense for it to be Philadelphia because that's where James Bremner was. Um, but they were still selling that stuff, selling William McGibbon's music in the 1770s there along the East Coast. So um, some of Robert Bremner's stuff making it over. Uh, anyway, so here is William McGibbon's setting for Willie Was a Wanton Wag as played by me on Ellen Pipes. Thank you. 
It's a fun little tune. I kind of like uh, McGibbon's. McGibbon's settings are pretty complicated as well, of course, but they feel more doable than Oswald's. Oswald's stuff sometimes is just, I just can't, can't handle it. Uh, so next, we're going to kind of look at the progression of this tune. So Willie Was a Wanton Wag is clearly the melodic um, hero or ancestor to uh, this tune, uh, Clary's Dragoons. Uh, which is kind of how it survives, I think, in Irish music today. Uh, it's a tune that was written by a fellow named Thomas Osborne Davis. Uh, it's kind of a pro, well, it's pro-Ireland, pro-Irish tune, uh, talking about kind of Irish soldiers that fought in France. Um, I think it's talking about fighting against the British and supporting Napoleon. There's kind of an interesting, there's an interesting history of Irish support in Napoleon. Of course, there's the invasion and the rebellion in Ireland that are all kind of tied up with the French Revolution as well, which my god i'd love i really need to do a whole episode on that uh just haven't uh there's so many episodes to do sometimes i worry i'm gonna run out um and that clearly doesn't happen but uh, i worry i'm gonna run out of things to do and then i realize oh no there's so many things i want to talk about yet uh when i told my wife i was going to do a tune a day uh <laughs> should throw her to the bus but uh she's such a trooper uh, she had to tell me to quit playing bagpipes last night at 1 a.m I just, I put the people in my life through such hardship. Um, anyway, when I told her I was going to do a, a tune every day of the year, she honestly didn't believe there were that many bagpipe tunes. Um, it's just funny, like, people's perceptions. I keep forgetting that this is sort of a niche instrument. Uh, but, yeah, no, there's there's definitely enough bagpipe tunes to play one every day. Uh, anyway, so here is Clarice Dragoons. Um, like I said, it's an old tune. I kind of, I'm not playing any of the old particular settings. Uh, I found a funny-looking flyer. Uh, it, it got turned into kind of an American regimental tune during the Civil War uh, and was part of kind of the Finian Regiment. If you haven't, if you don't know anything about the Finians, uh, you should really check out the uh, cl- um the dollop episodes about the Finians and like how essentially uh, the Finians are the reason Canada is independent, you could argue, because these kind of Finian uh, soldiers, uh, basically Irish Americans, fought in the Civil War uh, hoping to like gain military experience so they could invade Canada in order to beat Britain or beat England. And uh, Canada is like, well, that's, you know, if we just quit being Britain, they wouldn't do that. And uh, that's what happened, supposedly. Uh, is I've heard that from Canadian historians as well as getting laid up pretty well in the dollop. I'll see if I can link to the, the dollop episodes talking about the Finian raids. Uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. But I'm also going to link to uh, the Clare Dragoons as celebrated by the Finian uh, regiment there. And the news uh, in the show notes, you can look at the kind of cover art for this thing. It's a little silly. It's called The Finian War Echoes, is what this pamphlet's titled. Anyway, so here's Claire's Dragoon. Like I said, it, or Claire's Dragoons, it's pretty well known, I think, amongst uh, kind of Irish pipers, because Leo Rousen plays it. And so I listened to Leo Rousen play it a bunch and realized there's no way I can do that. So I just looked at the session setting for it, which is pretty close to, to Leo's uh, playing of it, except for, of course, the uh, regulators. Like, holy buckets. Can't wait to be able to play regulators like that, if that's ever going to happen. Uh, but we'll talk about that more in the future because that uh, O'Farrell book has some interesting things to say about regulator use so anyway here is Claire's Dragoons
that does it for the official Willie's Wanton Wag tunes. Uh, there's there's one I kept on, maybe it's ringing in your ear too. It definitely rings in my ear every time I hear it. It reminds me of the Braise Amar, uh, if you're familiar with that Scottish tune. I think it's a Jacobite tune about the 1715 uprising. It might be a faux Jacobite tune. I've definitely heard... Kind of my version of it comes from Fatherson and Friends by way of the Corys and also the Tannehill Weavers, I think. Um, I was kind of looking for the history of that tune and I couldn't find anything that was particularly old or interesting or actually matched the setting that I've heard from those places. So, um, but if you're if you are suffering from the same thing I was of like, what was that tune? I think it's Braise Amar is what you're thinking, and I'll just play it here, kind of as I remember it on whistle to satisfy that. Um, that ringing in your ear of what is this tune? back to Ryan. Uh, this is going to be the last last one of his tunes on this episode anyway. Uh, this is Ryan Kirk playing uh, Mill Mill O from Robert Bremner's guitar thing. Uh, just thanks again Ryan for uh, lending us your excellent skills on stringed instruments. Um, apparently Ryan's a new bagpiper too so hopefully we will get to hear some of that in the future. Uh, don't know, but uh, look forward to playing those other tunes. Uh, so many of the tunes in this collection, like I said, they're sort of, it's not like a rose stone but it's i don't know it makes sense one of the things i really like about donald mcdonald's uh first peabra collection is it begins with a collection of dance tunes and he says like here i'm just going to play the tunes that everybody knows so you can see how this notation works which you know if the point of your publishing music and i think this works for uh kind of like ryan was saying that this is for a popular audience you're kind of doing two things you're teaching people how to play the guitar but you might be teaching people how to read sheet music too so uh, I think that's what Donald McDonald was doing with the bagpipe setting was here are the most common tunes. So you already know how to play these, even if you can't read sheet music. So you can learn how to read sheet music because you already know how to play these tunes. You know, one part of the equation. So it might be kind of the same thing. And so this Bremner guitar book is sort of the same feeling where like, oh, here's the most common folk tunes, maybe. Um, anyway, that's all to say that we're going to hear it again. <laughs> we're going to hear some more because... Uh, these are the tunes that uh, I kind of couldn't resist playing. And even this next one, Mill Mill O, I kind of wish I hadn't played yet because I've got some other things I want to do with it. So I think next week's episode, I might do some kind of messing around, uh, messing around with the settings that uh, we'll see what happens. I might mess around with the settings that Ryan sent me, see if I can play along with them, and hopefully we'll get the duet, O'Farrell's duet version of Mill Mill O. But uh, anyway... Meanwhile, thanks again, Ryan. Uh, like I said, folks, go to the Facebook page and leave him some love because this is great stuff. And yeah, want to hear more of it and get him making more music. So anyway, here is Robert Bremner's setting for Mill Mill O, and then we'll come back with some McGibbon settings for the same tune, of course. So here we go.
Alright, lovely stuff. Okay, so we're going to leave uh, the last episode, or last, uh, last tune is going to be Mill Mill O from William McGibbon, played by me on Ellen Pipes. Uh, next week's going to be another one that'll probably be a little bit short. I've got quite a lot of work to do yet around the house here, as well as looking after my mom. So, uh, probably going to be a short one. I already said what it was going to be, so tune in for that. Make sure you subscribe, because the short ones, I don't... I mean, the short ones are not that short, um, but I also don't go around advertising them so if you want to listen to it make sure to subscribe I'm thinking about setting up a mailing list uh, if anybody has any strong opinions on kind of mailing lists do's and don'ts and what to use please get in touch and let me know uh, and while i'm asking for help you know this week a lot of help came through for me and uh, i really appreciate it uh, without gushing too much i just hope that uh yeah i hope y'all get as much out of this as i do from from y'all uh i appreciate it uh really makes really lift my spirits and make me feel good uh, as well as just be very practically helpful and uh, kind of that practical helpfulness is uh, why I'm going to ask for help again. Uh, so I'm, I'm currently writing a dissertation chapter on uh, kind of gender and Orcadians and I'm just really at a loss for understanding uh, or kind of getting a good handle on kind of Scottish queer history in the 18th century or even a particularly good handle on uh, women's history in Scotland and uh, Orkney specifically in the 18th century so if you know any like really good go-to resources or any journals or anything written by uh, Scottish or Orcadian women uh, kind of of all classes I don't particularly mind um especially in the later half of the 18th century, if you could send them my way, that'd be great. Uh, any kind of queer history of that period, that'd be great. Any good, like, just history of the Church of Scotland and how they dealt with um, kind of queer stuff and sodomy charges and that sort of thing. I feel like I have a decent handle in, on uh, Catholic history of that and even a pretty good handle on Anglican stuff, but uh, Church of Scotland and Orcadian specifically, I'm just really at a loss to find anything. Um, with the lockdown, you know, I, I've found some good records I'd like to look at in Orkney, but they are, uh, I think even the Orkney Library is, is closed right now to researchers, even if I could fly over there, which I can't and wouldn't be willing to with the virus. So um, kind of hoping for accessible published or online things. Uh, this is me being a beggar and a chooser. Um, but yeah, published stuff, I will... I would, I would love some, some tips. If anybody's got any help for kind of queer, uh, queer Scottish history in the 18th century, help me out. Uh, want to be able to write this chapter sooner rather than later. I've already been using the statistical accounts of Scotland, which have been just a great resource, but, you know, those are all written by men and kind of higher up men, and there's some pretty good gems there and uncovering uh, gender stuff, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love some specific texts written by women uh, or more explicitly about those things. So uh, anyway, so thanks again, everybody. Uh, we've got a couple of new reviews. I'm not, I don't feel like I have time to read them, but uh, we've, we've crossed that 10 review mark and those came in this week too when I was like needing to pick me up. So uh, I don't know. I'm addicted to doing this thing because all of you listeners make me feel really good. So I hope I can brighten your days uh, sometimes as well. Thanks, everybody. Here is Mill Mill O by William McGibbon, as played by me. 